It's easily the most contentious piece of real estate in the world. And there's no hope, none, of ever talking about it without pissing somebody, if not everybody, off. Maybe that's why it's taken me so long to come here. A place where even the names of ordinary things are ferociously disputed. Where does falafel come from? Who makes the best hummus? Is it a fence or a wall? By the end of this hour, I'll be seen by many as a terrorist sympathizer, a Zionist tool, a self-hating Jew, an apologist for American imperialism, an Orientalist, socialist, fascist, CIA agent, and worse. So here goes nothing. I took a walk through this beautiful world Felt the cool rain on my shoulder Without religion. One side of the family, long ago, Catholic, I think. The other side, Jewish. I've never been in a synagogue. I don't believe in a higher power. But that doesn't make me any less Jewish, I don't think. These guys sandbagging me at the Wailing Wall, they don't seem to think so either. One Jewish, my friend. Only half. Yes, so that makes me a Jew. Jewish. So now the first time, I need for you now, two minutes in the mitzvah, see. Baruch Ata, you righty? I'm a righty, yes. Very good. Sin Zibachai after me. Sin Zibachai. See, Baruch Ata. Baruch Ata, Adonai, Lahenu, Melacha, Alam, Ashekin, Shanu, Mitzvota, Vetsivanu, Vetsivanu, Leania, Leaniach, Tefillin. Tefillin. Snow you Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I've never felt so much like I'm masquerading as something I'm not. I'm instinctively hostile to any kind of devotion. Uh, certainty is my enemy. You know, I'm all about doubt questioning oneself and the nature of reality constantly. When they grabbed hold of me and in a totally non-judgmental way, essentially, you know, God's happy to have you, you know, here you go. Oh man, you know, my, my treachery is complete. Just because I was raised outside the faith with no particular attachment or loyalty to Israel doesn't mean that plenty of people on this earth don't hate me in principle. I know that. But the state of Israel, I never really knew what to think.
First look around, it's like everybody says. It's pretty. It's awesome. It's urban, sophisticated, hip. Like Southern California, only nicer. Then you see the young draftees in the streets and you start to get the idea. This is Jerusalem. I'm taking you through Damascus Gate, which is one of the gates to the old city. And these uh, walls are pretty ancient. People say that the deepest go back to King David. And then as history progressed, they built up the walls so that the, the top bit is the, is, the, is the newest bit. And by newest, you mean? I mean up to about to the Ottoman time, which uh, the, the Turks left here about, you know, 150 years ago. And the Brits came and they conquered us. I wasn't here. Born here, now cooking in London, Yotam Otolanyi is the widely known, respected chef and co-author of the book, Jerusalem. Basically, this city was divided into two until 1967, when there was the famous Six-Day War. Yep. And the whole of the bit that we're traveling in now, walking in, is East Jerusalem. It's the Palestinian part. And that was, uh, up until 67, was belonged to Jordan. Mm -hmm. So now it's under Israeli control. Very controversial because uh, for the Jews, for the Israelis, their city has been unified. But obviously for the Palestinians, they're under occupation as far as they're concerned. We just have to go for a typical falafel place yeah. because it's so much part of the culture here. And again, contentious because, you know, Jews or Israelis made falafel their own and everybody in the world thinks falafel is, a, you know, Israeli food. But in actual fact, it's as much a Palestinian food and even more so because, you know, it's been done for generations here. And here, you get falafel that's just been fried. You don't get it any other way. And when I go to a place like that and I see he's got a few bowls left in the, in the bowl from the previous customer, I don't take that. I want him to fry them especially for me. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's a whole different animal, isn't it? So, is there a historically provable answer to who, who invented who it? Who made it first? The one thing that is very clear that is in this part of the world, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, it's been cooked for many, many, many generations. On the other hand, you get like Jews from Yemen coming here in the 50s. Right. So they can say, hey, my great uncle was in exactly. Syria at the time and he was his ham, I remember distinctly. So there's actually no answer to it, but the question of food appropriation right. or who owns the food is massive here. They can go on arguing about it forever. The old city is divided into four quarters. There is a Muslim quarter, mm -hmm. there's a Jewish quarter, there's a Christian quarter, and there's an Armenian quarter. Each one functions independently, but the people that live in the certain area are all from that religion. Right. So here you see these Israeli flags over this house. So basically, Jews have bought this house, although it's in the Muslim quarter. And that's very controversial because it breaks the separation that people would normally expect in this city. Now we're walking in the steps of Jesus Christ, right? As I so often do. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Via Dolorosa, which is the last trip Jesus did before he was crucified. So people feel very emotional. <laughs> they come here and they feel like, oh my God, I'm walking in the steps of Muhammad, David, or, or Jesus. It's like Jesus was here. I, I feel like I should be more something. A little bit more pious? Well, a little bit. <laughs> well, it's too late for me. I'm... Oh, great. You can get your own crown of thorns? <laughs> yeah. 
In answer to the question, what would Jesus wear? Oh, no, 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 no. That's just wrong. <laughs> Israel is bordered by Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. In 1967, after the Six-Day War, Israel took control of the Gaza Strip, the Sinai Peninsula, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and annexed East Jerusalem. In 2003, Israel began construction on a wall along the Green Line representing the Israeli-Palestinian border. The wall now stretches 450 miles. When completed, it will span 700 miles, 85% of it in Palestinian territory. On one hand, there's no doubt that the number of suicide bombings fell drastically. On the other, there's this. We cross from Jerusalem into the West Bank, also called Judea and Samaria, also called Palestine. Since 1967, half a million settlers have moved here, all in contravention of international law. Many in contravention of Israeli law, though in effect, it seems to make little difference. They're here and in ever larger numbers. This is Noam, one of our drivers from Tel Aviv, who I asked about the graffiti on this house near the settlements. So, what is price tagging? If something happens in the settlement or some attack towards Jews, kids from the settlements would come and have a price tag for every activity. So they would come to a Palestinian village like this, they will destroy cars, they will write on walls like this. It says, against Arabs, the state of Israel is alive, and death to the Arabs. Intimidating. I mean, you put two targets on my house, I'm moving. This is Ellie a settlement with a population of over 3,000, relatively isolated from the rest of Israel. Amiad Cohen is the chief executive of the Eli settlement and its former head of security. Here you see from up above most of our town. You see the Palestinian villages all around. I mean, it's an unusual situation. A lot of your neighbors would very much like you to not be here. I know most of them, and most of them, they're happy that we're here because we actually, we gave them prosperity for the past 45 years. And wherever the, PA, the PLO came, they lost it. I'm guessing a lot of people would disagree with that statement. We work with high-tech security radars and cameras. So from the high ground, you can see anybody uh, walking at night. You could see from pretty far out. Definitely. Could you identify them after the fact? Depends, but we have our protocols that we work with, and we had our successes. We drive to Ma'ale Levena, another settlement a few miles away. Hot, sun-bleached, suburban feeling. Behind its ring of electronic surveillance sensors and security, everything they feel they need a school, public transportation, and a petting zoo.
Amakai Luria has lived here for 23 years. He's a winemaker and amateur cook. Oh, pretty. Wow. You're not kidding around. L'chaim. L'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. The salmon is marinated with pomegranate juice that I, on the season, I squeeze pomegranates and I freeze the juice so I'll have it all year round. Where were you before here? I was born in Pennsylvania. So your parents brought you over at age four? Yeah. Parents in their 20s with kids living in the relative comfort and familiarity of Pennsylvania, heading off to what must have, at least in part of their mind, been seen and uncertain. Yes. It was very difficult for them. Almost all Jews say, next year in Yerushalayim. It's part of prayers that we say all the time. If I'm understanding correctly, you're, you're talking about, look, the Bible, it's all right there. It all happened here. That's sort of a non-negotiable position. You see prophecies coming true, coming, things coming to life again, you know, mountains that nobody wanted to live on. Nobody dared to, for thousands of years, nobody wanted this place, you know. And then finally, we come here and uh, everything is flourishing again. It's, it makes you feel good, you know. It's... You've been here since uh, 90. You look, you look, over the, look over the edge there. There's an Arab village, right? How far um, away? Yeah, there is one that you can see from here. At any point during that time? You ever go to anybody's house, sit down and eat? Not there, but in other villages. Ever sat down on a Muslim table? Muslim table... Your host and everybody else. Coffee. But not so, there. Uh, no, because I don't, as a religious Jew, I eat only uh, kosher. So they respect that, so they don't offer me. So I got to ask you about something that troubled me coming up. The first house before you come up the drive to this village. Mm. The graffiti on the front. Yes. The targets spray painted on. Yes. Who done it? Villains. Bad people. Kids? I don't know. May, apparently kids. When you educate kids, kids are not able to understand complicated things. They see the world in black and white. When you get older, you're able to see the gray. And when someone hits you... When Look, someone... I understand why kids are doing it. Given what you told me earlier, identifying the perpetrators within the, within the realm of possibility. Young people. Why not paint it over? Good question. I don't know. Maybe we should. You're right. Elsewhere in the West Bank, just outside of Ramallah. Meet Betty Sadek and Mona Anam. Two members of a group of women who call themselves the Speed Sisters. The first all-female Palestinian racing team. Hi, I'm Tony. Hi, Hi, good to meet you. 
driving a car, I'm the happiest girl ever. Racing, it's in my blood. Here in Palestine, it's very small. There's no roads. So when I drive, I speed, I feel free. Did you find that uh, people underestimated you at first? At the beginning, they could maybe make fun of us. But when we got good scores, we win now all they respect. Know. Yeah. Well, a car doesn't know if you're a woman or a man. Yeah. A lot of girls want to join us, the Speed Sisters. But some of their families are very reserved. They don't like their daughters to be between men racing, you know? Mm -hmm. Palestine is a very reserved society. So are things getting better, staying the same, or worse? So you never know what's going to happen in Palestine. One day, it's good, and the other day, it's just, you never know. It's a crazy country. The local police would prefer them off the streets for obvious reasons. But the track here, such as it is, has its drawbacks. It's basically a parking lot across from the Ofer Detention Center. What do they think about this next door? Do they ever give you problems? This is an Israeli jail. It's called Ofer. One time we were here with Speed Sisters and there was problems because of the prisoners. So I just stopped my car over there and I was walking. I wanted to see what's going on. And the Israeli soldiers, they came running at me and they started shooting at me and I got, I got shot in the back. It was a tear gas. The canister hit you? Yeah. So my Speed Sisters, they took me to the hospital. I, I fainted. Have you thought of challenging the Israelis to put up a team? I can't race because my car is Palestinian. What if they come over here? They're not allowed to enter the West Bank, and we're not allowed to go to Jerusalem, so how can we can race together? Okay, silly question. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. It's right there for all to see. And it feels like something out of a science fiction film. This is The Wall. 
from the other side, from inside this place, for instance, the Aida refugee camp in the district of Bethlehem, it doesn't feel like anything other than what it is, a prison. Abed Abu Surur is the founder of the Al Rawad Children's Theater Center. So we are at the north entrance of Bethlehem and heading to Aida refugee camp. So this has been here since 1950? Yes. It started uh, with tents. People were under the tents for about seven years. And later on, the UN saw that it was not temporary as it was supposed to be. So they started building what they call shelters. First impressions of the camp, there's a remarkable number of kids. Now it's about 6,000 people. And the two-thirds are under 18 years old, so it's a very young population. Unfortunately, with the continuous degradation of political and economic situation, we are in a situation where we have no playgrounds or green spaces anymore. Children play in the streets beneath walls covered in images of martyrs, plane hijackers, political prisoners. 6,000 people, of that number, 66%, are under the age of 18. Yes. I don't care where that is in the world, that's pretty much a recipe for unruly behavior, I think would be the best. Well, especially, <laughs> yes, especially when you don't have any possibilities to evacuate the anger and the stress in a creative way. So after I finished my studies, I came back here and I started using theater as one of the most amazing, powerful, civilized, and nonviolent means to express yourself, to tell your story, to be truthful. And this is, for me, the remedy to build the peace within and hopefully help them to think that they can grow up and change the world and create miracles without need to carry a gun and shoot everybody else or explode themselves or burn themselves, but to stay alive. Abed takes me to the camp's martyrs' quarter to be fed by Islam Abu Aouda. She runs a women's collective offering Palestinian cooking classes, helping her provide for six children, one of whom is disabled. In America, kids grow up with pop stars, sports players. Yes. Never a politician. I mean, yeah. it's unthinkable for a child to look up to a politician or to look up to a military figure, sports or entertainment. Yeah. Here, kids four or five years old, Every day, they're looking at somebody who, you know, brought down a plane. Yeah. Um, I'm not questioning why that is. I know, yeah. Do you think it's helpful? Well, I guess we have a history. We are people who are under occupation. People honor their heroes. And their heroes are those who resist the occupation. Whether they resist it through armed struggle or non-armed struggle. And to tell you the truth, sometimes I have been in fight with some political parties when they put images of people who were killed in their Hona houses. Ahmed's sister, in the 29th of October 2001, she was killed in her kitchen by a sniper from the Intercontinental Hotel. But when these political parties take this woman and want to make a montage of photos with her carrying a gun to say this is the hero who liberated the Palestine? Sorry, this is not true. 
this woman was killed in her house. When you go today and ask the Palestinians, who is the great hero? You ask these kids, who will they recognize? They will recognize a young man from Gaza who is an Arab idol named Muhammad Asaf, a singer who sings. He becomes more famous than Abu Mazen and uh, Arafat and, uh, and everybody else. This is another image of Palestine. You could almost believe for a minute or two that some kind of peace, some kind of reconciliation, meeting of the minds, sanity, is possible after you visit Majda. It's a restaurant in what looks like an idyllic village in the Judean hills, about 20 minutes from Jerusalem. It feels like an alternate universe for a number of reasons. Michal Baranas is Jewish. Yakub Baron is Muslim from a nearby village. They're partners, co-owners of Majda, and also married. They're unsurprisingly friends of Yotam. Together, they grow and raise much of what's used in their kitchen. Their food reflects both their different backgrounds and their commonalities. We're going to spoil you now. Yeah, here we go. So you grew up in this town? Yes, in this village. Where did you grow up? Tanya, near the beach. Near the beach? Yeah. Not, not the neighborhood. <laughs> but we met in the neighborhood, in Kibbutz, Kiryat Anavim, mm-hmm. and we worked together in a hotel. How did that go down with the families? Wonderful now. <laughs> now wonderful. Now good. Yes, good. In the beginning, not so much. Started a little bit, yes, with a lot of questions, answers, and slowly, slowly they understand that we love each other, and they can do nothing. So we continue, and they support us. This is your special fried eggs, sunny setup. Farm eggs um, with farm uh, eggs. peppers from your garden, yes. tomato. That looks awesome beyond words. It is incredibly beautiful here. I don't know why I didn't expect that. Uh, you know, a lot of people come and say, it's like Provence, it's like Italy, and I say, no, it's in Rafa. You like okra? I do. Cheese. Roasted tomatoes, okra. Onion and mint. And that's all it is. And what they do a lot here is just char the hell out of it. So it's like, it's really, it's, it's really smoky just from being in the pan for all in very high heat. Mm. So good together. So um, generally speaking, who lives in this area? Mostly Arab, uh, ethnically Arab in this particular town? Muslims. Only Muslims. Just Michal, the Jewish, only Jewish. Michal is the only Jewish in the village. And this? That's a zucchini that's been grilled, and then we use the dried yogurt, so that's the sauce. So it's Uh like that intense kind of goaty flavor. Very typical for Palestinian cooking, right? Mm. Oh man, it's good. I just had this incredibly delicious meal, completely oblivious to the fact that it's it's entirely vegetarian. If 
any of the vegetarian restaurants in New York served food that tasted anywhere near this, I would be, I would actually go there. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I consider it. And this? Fresh zucchini with mint. And the apricots, the little right. sweet apricots we had. And all of this food is really intensely delicious. Are you hopeful? Of course, I have my children. I need to see them. I respect her religion. She respects my religion, my family. And together we can build something for our kids, our future country. That's what we think and that's what we give the message for our customers. Part of the attraction of this restaurant, the fact that it actually manages to do what not so many chefs try to do here, and that is sort of mix your Jewish ethnicity or background with Arab food. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Getting in and out of Gaza from Israel is truly one of the most surreal travel experiences you could have on Earth. Over 1.5 million people live in Gaza, most of them considered refugees, meaning they're not from the place they are compelled to live now. In most cases, they're either prohibited from or unable to leave. Israel decides who comes and goes, what gets in and what stays out. Apart from journalists, aid workers, emergency responders, very few people are allowed to cross into Gaza. In 2005, the Israeli Defense Forces left the Gaza Strip and all Israeli settlers were removed. Now inside Gaza, Hamas is in charge. Considered a terrorist organization by both the United States and Israel, they got elected in 2006. This is Leila Haddad, a native Gazan, journalist, and author of The Gaza Kitchen. The catches are not as big as they used to be, and that's primarily because the fishermen can't go beyond three to six nautical miles. You could continue fishing, but what happens? Uh, they'll shoot at the fishermen, uh, they'll spray cold water at them, they'll destroy their boats, they'll cut their fishing nets, uh, they'll detain them. So it's obviously really risky business. Nine nautical miles, that's where that deep sea channel is, where you're going to get the really good catches. So Gaza is the last Palestinian area with access to the coast. That's really important to remember. You know, you have the West Bank just an hour away, but many of the Palestinians there have never seen the sea, have never been to the sea. The Sultan family own a small farm in the Bani Sela area of the eastern Gaza Strip. Um Sultan and her husband are unusual in that they cook together. 
This is not typical in this part of the world or in this culture. They use their own fresh-killed chickens to make the Gazan classic, makluba, a traditional Palestinian dish comprised of layers of fried eggplant, tomato, potatoes, caramelized onions, and chicken, sautéed, then simmered in a broth with nutmeg, cinnamon, cardamom, and rice. It's a big family, children, grandchildren, all living under the same roof. And it can get chaotic. So let's talk about food and eat food because it's just sitting here. Tell yeah, me yeah, yeah, sure, what, sure, sure. what do we have here? Okay, so this is called ma'luba or makluba. Traditional name with lamb, in this case chicken. They're very concerned that we're being very rude and we're not. <laughs> we're not allowing, no, the others to eat. He's saying, how can you be eating and you're letting everybody stop? Uh-uh. Mm. Wow. For me, being from Gaza, being a child of diaspora, I always thought food was a really interesting way to be able to tell the Palestinian story. Being able to discover this lost history, this Palestinian past. Plus, the food is really damn good. Right, that it is. <laughs> and it was, I think, also important to be able to, to provide Palestinians an image of themselves that they recognize, a very humane image, because all they're seeing in the media, whether here or there, whether on Arabic uh, channels or abroad, you know, is these kind of very caricatured images of, uh, uh, you know, gunmen and, you know, whaling women and this kind of grim, you know, cinder block landscape. Uh, you're not entering into the private homes. And what does a kitchen look like or what does a, you know, a family you see here? Yeah. Do you like it, she's asking? It's absolutely yeah. delicious. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good. Yeah? She wants you to open a restaurant for her. Uh, <laughs> keep cooking like this. It's yeah. really delicious. Gaza has three distinctive culinary heritages. Those who hail from villages that were either depopulated or destroyed uh, in 1948, uh, and they constitute about 75% of the population of Gaza and they kind of bring with them their own distinct cuisine. That's very different from uh, the cuisine of the city, Gaza City, which tends to use much more heat, much more chili peppers, right. from the cuisine of the coast, which is rich uh, in, uh, with seafood, of course, and a very sophisticated, very urbane cuisine. Curious what everybody here thinks. Will there, will, in your lifetime, I guess the first question would be, in your lifetime, will you be able to uh, visit Yafa? She says, you know, she hopes she, she hopes can. So. She also hopes she can go to Jerusalem as well. So, so she's optimistic. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> saying that first he said you're not allowing us to, and then he said, then he correct, self corrected and said the Israelis aren't allowing us to. <laughs> This is the normal tone of voice. He's not upset, by the way. This is how we talk. <laughs> we yell. <laughs> what is, what's he saying? He's saying, but, you know, give me a permit. If they allow, of course I'll go.
Layla's got something to show me. A watermelon salad thing she discovered on a recent trip here that's really piqued her interest. So off we go. I figure this'll take a minute. We arrive at what looks like a pretty serious gathering. This is a diwan, and we're soon joined by Um Sultan's husband, Abu. It's an area where kind of the elders gather to, you know, resolve community problems, to, you know, kind of uh, advise. All these guys are originally from Bir il Sabi, now part of Israel. So they're bound together by traditions and a way of life very different from here where they've been relocated and lived since 1948. Does he think he'll be able to go to his ancestral homeland in his lifetime, his children's lifetime? Mm-hmm. What's his guess? Yeah. We will retain Whether now or our Quran, years. our instrument, yeah. uh, told us. It's preordained, yeah. The stone will, will uh, call this enemy back me. Please kill him. And we understand that. We hope not me, my son, my daughter, So what they're making now is called fatit ajr. And ajr is basically baby watermelon, underripe watermelon. And this is kind of a specialty of southern Gaza generally, but also Sinai. Uh, It's usually something that's made exclusively by men, as as I was told here. So they begin, you can see over there, they're fire roasting the uh, baby watermelons. They cover them with aluminum foil. In addition, they put them through a wire, kind of like a sort of rustic uh, skewer. (laughs) And then they, they just throw them in there. And then the idea is they they take the pulp out, so that's what's going on. Hey, Mama. Come here. Yeah, and then what they do while that's fire roasting is they knead an unleavened dough over there with whole wheat, barley, uh, plenty of really rich extra virgin olive oil. And then they throw that into the pit as well, or they dig a pit in the sand over there, and that's fire baked. Right in the coals? Yep. And then they mix that all together. (laughs) So it's interesting because right now we're about, what, 35 minutes away from Gaza City? Uh, Ask anyone in Gaza City if they've heard of this dish. No. No. (laughs) So even in an area as small as Gaza, you see this really wide variation. So they're going to clean it up. Many, if not most of these guys, are not too sympathetic to my country or my ethnicity, I'm guessing. But there's that hospitality thing. Anywhere you go in the Muslim world, it seems, no matter what, you feed your guests, you do your best to make them feel at home. Oh, we have to eat. Maybe we should. But you're supposed to eat this with your hands. Mm. He's saying if you if you eat this, you shouldn't have another meal for three days. <laughs> Where does this dish come from? Originally? This is a dish that's native 
to southern Gaza, uh, the Sinai, the uh, sort of the desert Bedouin areas. All the food I've had so far in Gaza has been very different than in anything else I've had in the Arab world. Different flavor spectrum. Yeah, totally. It's kind of this its own little gastronomical bubble. <coughs> Why you not use the You know, I find that the food has more flavor. I get a better sensory experience. Oh. Even children, they like to eat with their hands. Oh, oh. saying God gave us hands to eat with, not spoons. <laughs> One can be forgiven for thinking, when you see how similar they are, the two peoples, both of whom cook with pride, eat with passion, love their kids, love the land in which they live or the land they dream of returning to, who live so close, who are locked in such an intimate, if deadly, embrace, might somehow, someday, figure out how to live with each other. But that would be very mushy thinking indeed. Those things, in the end, probably don't count for much at all. Natan Galkowitz runs a restaurant just seven miles from the Gaza Strip. You and your family have paid the worst imaginable price. Yes, my daughter was killed by a mortar sent by Hamas. In some Israeli towns and villages within close proximity of the Gaza Strip, Bus stops double as bomb shelters, and air raid sirens warn of incoming missiles fired from less than a mile away. Rockets and mortar shells have been known to fall from the sky in these parts, and no one understands the consequences more than this man. You were not a fervent ideological Zionist. No. You're not an Orthodox Jew. No. And yet here you are at the spear point, right at the tip. Uh, there's your restaurant. This is a there's shelter. A, there's a shelter. Here you are. After the death of my daughter, I just start to talk. To whom? To people who want to listen to me. I know that my daughter was killed for no reason. And I know that I, people in the other side have been killed for no reason. Children, old people. I have been a soldier in Gaza. I saw very poor people. I know there is interest in keeping these poor people. You can go far, far, but the, the bottom line is, let's stop with the suffering. You know, I went to the settler community and I... Nice people. And I said to you, you know, they were nice. And you said, you said, what did you say? You said, they're all nice. They are all nice. I know nice, very nice Palestinian people. They're all nice, but if you scratch, if you push, you have they to all push want, but they all want to put, they, they, they'll all say, throw them in the sea. Most of the people, they don't talk. They are very upset. They are fed up. And the same goes from the other side to us. You have to find the right people on both villages 
also on the down, also on the up, and, and make they talk. And I am sure that is possible. The opportunities to do that here are very, very, very limited, it seems. I agree. If, and I mean, one doesn't even have to speak metaphorically because there is an actual wall. That is a wall. Or a fence, depending on who you're talking to. Fence or wall? Oh, oh, oh. No, it's a big wall. It's ugly. It's really ugly. You can see it. It's not far away from here. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.